0: I love that God gives me the the privilege of walking into churches uh, across our province, as far north as Fort Nelson, to the island, over to the Kootenays. I was in the cusp a few weeks ago, and uh, just giving me a glimpse as to what he's up to in our province and around the world. And so let me pray, and then we'll jump into God's Word uh, for a few minutes. Father, uh, you're here, you're present, you're active, and uh, I believe that in the midst of of some pomp and circumstance with, with ordination and, and friends and family who have gathered. And, uh, I believe you want to teach us something. I believe you have something for us through your word this morning. And so I ask that you would, uh, you would communicate clearly um, what it is you have for us in these next few minutes. Open up our hearts to receive, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I travel around the province, um, meeting with pastors and boards and, and congregations quite consistently, I am convinced, more than I have been convinced in the role that I'm in, that God is wanting to do something deep within our churches in the midst of trying circumstances. I mean, I, I don't have to tell you that the last few years have been odd. Um, that's, that's just a nice way of putting it. Bizarre, so you fill in the blank. But, but the question is this. Uh, many would say, well, we, we've, we've gotten through it. We're, we're okay. Um, what, and, and it might not just be pandemic-related. It could be your own circumstances in your life that have nothing to do with that. But are we satisfied with where we're at, or do we want more? Are we satisfied, or do we want more? You know, when I was, when I was growing up, I had a friend Whose, whose father was, for all intents and purposes, the richest man that I knew. Um, he, he was the president of, of a very large company. Uh, and when I found out how much this man made, and I was, I was a little kid at the time, uh, it was more money than I could possibly imagine. In, in fact, I, I remember thinking, if I had that amount of money, then, then I would be set for life. Then everything would be good if I had that kind of money. But the, but the interesting thing was, and I, and I even realized this as a young boy, my, my friend's father was, was never satisfied. He was always looking for something more. More money, more power, more success, more friends, a better position at his company. And so nothing quite met what he was looking for. In fact, when the owners of the company restructured... And uh, they didn't give him a large enough piece of the pie like he was looking for. That was it for him. He quit his job in BC. He uprooted his family. He moved to Alberta, where he thought the pastures were going to be a lot greener. Uh, And for those of you that lived through the 80s, the early 80s, uh, when you remember 20-plus percent interest rates and whatnot, I mean, the economy tanked. And to, to try to start something new at that time was brutal. And so... With the economy in a slide, he's in a new province. He finds himself with a whole bunch of new ideas for this company he's working with, and they all fell, sh- fell short of his expectations. And it became really frustrating for him because he believed if he could just get the next break, then he'd be satisfied. Things would be finally right in his life. He'd be fulfilled. All would be good. But you know... It it never quite happened. Every dream he had failed him, and it took him a long time to wake up to the truth. And in fact, the the wake-up call came when he discovered that his wife was a closet alcoholic and his young teenage daughter was struggling with an eating disorder. And this new reality shook him to the core, and it woke him up. He wasn't a believer. uh, It woke him up to this reality that success couldn't be found in in wealth, Uh, satisfaction couldn't be found in wealth or comfort, but it actually had to be found in a completely different realm of life. And he discovered what many people in our society are discovering, that we actually have a need for the, and I'm not sure this is the best use of these words, but the spiritual side of life. You do not need an advanced degree to know how prevalent spirituality is in our world today. But Leonard Sweet, the dean of the theological school at Drew University in the States, he's a professor of postmodern Christianity, he says this, "Our society is experiencing a greater spiritual hunger than we have ever seen." I mean that's the good news. Here's the bad news. He goes on to say that the problem is is that people aren't turning to the church as a place to find the answers and a solution to that hunger. Instead, they're following after all sorts of things, you know, self-help books and gurus and new age, whatever, uh, the latest, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, TikTok feed that you can imagine, any place that they can turn where they could custom design their own God to have that specific God that they need, that specific thing that they need, at that specific challenge that they are facing in their life. And Sweet says, unfortunately, they're not going after the true God. R.C. Sproul, the evangelical Presbyterian theologian, was asked, he was speaking at a large conference in the southern U.S., he says, what do you think the greatest spiritual need is in the world today? This was his answer. The greatest spiritual need in the world today is that people discover the true identity of God. Could it be that radical transformation might occur in our lives if we truly understood who God was? You see, the unfortunate thing is people who don't know Jesus, people outside of a local church community, they are choosing to reject a God they they don't even know. They don't understand what they are ignoring. They don't understand what they are putting aside. The greatest need in our world today is to discover the true identity of God. And R.C. Sproul was actually asked a follow-up question. What do you think the greatest spiritual need is in the church today? And his answer was exactly the same to discover the true identity of God. And he goes on to explain that if the church, if if those who call themselves Christ followers would come to understand the true character and nature of God, it would revolutionize their lives, and it would revolutionize the church, and maybe society would begin to look at the church as a place where they actually could find answers, where they could come to understand where true spirituality is found and so the passage i want to explore for a few minutes this morning finds jesus at the at at a well he's having a conversation with a woman and we're going to read a text in in a second but he begins this conversation with this woman um, by asking her for a drink but then he gets a, a little bit deeper and he asks her the basic question that R. C. Sproul saw as so important. Do you really understand who you're talking to? Do you understand the true identity of Jesus? And so before I read the text, here's just a little bit of context. Jesus has been on a trip with his disciples. As you can imagine, in Israel, it's it's hot, it's dusty. It's about noon. Jesus is tired. He's thirsty. He sits down at this well because he wants a drink. He sends his disciples into town to get some food, so he's alone at the well. And this woman walks up to the well, probably sits down beside him, and Jesus asks her for a drink. Sounds okay. And her response is telling how can you a jew talk to me a samaritan we don't do that there are all other cultural norms here how i mean she didn't say this but how can you a man Talk to me, a woman, because we, we don't do that in our society, you would have probably picked up, she would have probably picked up that Jesus was a rabbi, and rabbis don't talk to sinners, and here's Jesus talking to her, and so she's perplexed because Jesus breaks down these barriers to speak to her, and we find his response to her pointed questions in verse 10 of John chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, Bible apps, if you're following along at home, open up to John chapter 4 for just a few minutes. John chapter 4, and I want to begin in verse 10. This is Jesus' response to her pretty pointed question of, why would you be talking to me? We don't do that. Verse 10 of John 4 says this. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, water, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I, don't, I won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're, you're right when you say you have no, no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Let's, let's just stop there for a minute. Jesus counters this woman's question of how can you ask me for a drink by saying, if you really knew who you were talking to, you wouldn't ask that question. In fact, if you really knew who you were talking to, you would ask me and I would be prepared to give you living water. And, and living water to this woman would have meant spring water as opposed to stagnant water water that springs up, water that is continually fresh. That's the dream when you're always drinking water out of a well. You would love to drink it out of something that's flowing regularly. And so she looks at him, and she essentially says this, I might not know who you are, but I can see exactly what you look like. And what did Jesus look like? He was a lonely, dusty, dirty, tired thirsty traveler who had walked many a mile that day, he would have looked pretty disheveled sitting there at the well. He was alone, and the assumption was he had absolutely nothing to offer her. And here he was saying to her, if you really knew who I was, you would ask me, and, and I would give you living water. And, and she looks at him, and you kind of assume she's, there, there's some sarcasm dripping here. And she says, you don't even have a cup to draw with. I mean, the well is probably 100 feet deep. How are you going to give me any kind of water, let alone this living water, this flowing water that I'm assume, she's assuming it is, let alone fresh spring water? You see, she thought she knew who Jesus was. And so she goes on, probably laughing at Jesus inside, You know, saying, do you actually think you're greater than our father Jacob, the one who actually gave us the well, who drank from it himself, whose herds and whose family drank from this well? She compares at that moment Jesus to Jacob, the one who gave him the well. He didn't only get water for himself, but but Jacob was able to get food and water to, to his herds, to people who lived in the village, and to generations after of people who lived in that village. And so she asks, you actually think you're greater than Jacob? Come on. Obviously, in her mind, the answer was, buddy, like you're not even close. You're not even close. If she only knew who she was speaking to. Because the person she was speaking to was greater than Jacob. And listen to Jesus' indirect response to her. He says, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. In fact, the water I give him will become like water that, that, that springs up to eternal life. You see, Jesus here is saying, I am greater than Jacob. For one, the water I give is better than the water that Jacob would give. In fact, the water won't just feed one household or one village and all of its cattle. The water that Jesus would provide was water that would quench the thirst of the entire world. In fact, the woman wouldn't have to keep coming back to the well over and over again, drinking over and over again. Jesus says, if you drink from my water, you're never going to thirst again. Now, let's just stop for a second. Let's be fair to this woman. She couldn't really be expected to know who Jesus was, could she? I mean, there was no way, barring a massive miracle of God where he says, this is who this person is, apart from that, she couldn't look at Jesus and understand that he was the Messiah, that, that Jesus was God incarnate, you know, that God had come to earth in Jesus Christ to live in human form, to die on a cross, and ultimately pay the penalty for our sin. She couldn't be expected to know that because all of that hadn't happened yet. Yes, Jesus had come to earth, but he hadn't been crucified yet. And more than dying to take the punishment of our sins, we understand You know, he was raised to life in order that we might share that life with him and have eternal life and abundant life in the now. The woman had no idea about any of that, but she caught one thing that Jesus said, that part about never ever having to thirst again. And so in her mind, she was thinking, great, if I can get some of that water, I'll never have to come back to this well again. I can stay at home in my house where it's cool and it's safe. And I think it's tempting for us to look at this woman and and say, maybe under our breath, "Uh, I'm not sure she's all that smart. Obviously, Jesus is speaking spiritually here. He's not talking about changing our physiology where we don't need to drink water anymore. This is a spiritual conversation. Yet aren't you and I like this woman? Don't we often have the same thought that she did? If I could get this kind of water, then life would be good. You know, fill in the blank in your own life. Life would be good if I just had what? You know, most of us here living in, you know, the province of BC uh, don't worry about where our next drink of water is coming from. Maybe last year during the flooding in the Sumas Prairie or something, there, there were some families there that did, but by and large, we go to the tap, we turn it on, and we drink water. And so when we think of this text, you know, if I just had more money, or more friends, or people loved me more, or agreed with me more, if I had more success or if I had more excitement in my life or if I had a better job, a better spouse, a better education, a better church, can't have a better church than Maple Ridge Alliance Church, but some people think that. If I had some of those things, then life would be Good. You see, we, we, we tend to think the same things. We think if we just had more, if we just had something better, then life would be good. Then we would feel satisfied. And the problem with that kind of thinking is that it focuses on the blessings that God has given us as opposed to focusing on the God who gives us the blessing. You see, if we focus too much on the good things that God gives us, and don't get me wrong, some of them are really good whether it's money or a job or friends or a church, if we look to those things for fulfillment rather than looking to God as the one who satisfies, we'll always be disappointed. The things of life will satisfy us for a time, but we'll always need more. We'll always need to come back. We'll always be thirsty again, over and over and over again. And then Jesus suddenly shifts the conversation. In fact, many commentators have wrestled with what's going on here. You know, how in the world does asking about this woman's husband fit with talking about living water and eternal life? It's almost as though Jesus does this 180-degree turn or he has a squirrel moment where it's like, oh, now I'm going to talk about this. It's kind of how it seems in the text. Why does he do it? I believe Jesus wants to get her to think more deeply about her life about her life. And he does this by raising for her what would be probably the most vulnerable area of her life, telling her, go and call your husband and come back. And her response is, I don't have a husband. And Jesus concludes that interaction by saying, you're right when you say that. In fact, you've had five husbands. You've been with five different individual men. And the person you're with now is not your husband. So you're accurate. You're not lying to me. He was pointing out to her she had gone from relationship to, relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. Hoping and praying that the next one would be better. And every single one of them ended up disappointing her. Jesus was trying to communicate to her, you don't need a new husband. Uh, you don't even need a new water source. What you need is a new life. Isn't she a mirror of our, our age? We go from experience to activity, to activity to experience, always on to the next one in line, hoping that it will be the thing that will bring us joy. On to the next relationship, onto the next job, on to the next town, whatever it might be. We even try to recreate ourselves several times during our lifetime, hoping it will bring us joy and pleasure and satisfaction and f- fulfillment. But it doesn't every new venture, even if it satisfies for a time, ends up failing us ultimately in the long run. And so we're faced with a question. Do we even know our own need? You see, the woman didn't seem to get it that she had a need, which is why Jesus tried to shock her into seeing it. Just like my friend's father had to be shocked by his family falling apart before he realized that there was actually a deeper need in his life. We can get so focused on the blessings of God that we don't even realize the need for God himself. One writer said it this way, we're like kids who are out in the yard eating mud pies when in fact at home in the kitchen is an apple pie. But we're pretty satisfied with the mud pies because it's what's right in front of us. Do we know our need? Do we know what we could have? if we just knew who it was that was talking to us. If we knew the gift of God and the true identity of Jesus Christ. One of the things I love to do um, when I travel is go scuba diving. I I love to scuba dive. I I love being 60 feet under the water. It's fun. And... uh, number of years ago, we were in Maui as a family, and uh, what we do, we don't book tours or anything like that. We just go to a dive shop. We rent the gear, put it in the trunk of the car, and then we drive around the island, and my, my sons and I, we just look for places to drop into the water and go diving. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that can be dangerous, but we, we give it a shot. Anyways, we were almost done our trip. We, we drove back to Lahaina to give, our, to give our gear back to the dive shop. To, uh, the rental time was up, and as I'm I'm pulling into the parking lot, the owner of the dive shop came out, and he was just kind of in his car getting ready to go to work, and he says, how was the diving? I said, it was great. He says, how did you enjoy Mala Ramp? Now, for those of you that have been to Maui, to to the town of Lahaina, Mala Ramp is another way of saying, how did you enjoy diving at the boat launch? Like, The worst place in the world to go diving. I mean, you you think it's like oil slicks and and like there's boats above you while you're underneath and you're seeing motors up there. Like it's just the last place I would think about going diving. He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, a number of years ago, there was a huge hurricane that whipped through this part of the island and there used to be this concrete pier that was here and it all collapsed and it's under the water about 40 feet down and the sea life that has developed around this broken concrete is unlike any sea life that you will see anywhere on the island. I said, well, I'm not going to give you the gear back. I've got to go do one more dive. So we went literally 200 yards to the Mala ramp and just parked the car on the side of the road, walked in no further than here to where the soundboard is, and dropped down 40 feet. And I sat there on the bottom of the ocean floor, cross-legged with my son, as this massive eagle ray comes and starts swimming around us. The sea life in that area, unlike anywhere else on the island. And it was right in front of me. You see, we can be satisfied with the beauty we have around us, with the good things that we have in life, and they're good. And we miss all of the things that God is wanting to show us. You know, God gives us good things. He gives good to everyone in the world, especially those who don't deserve it, which includes all of us. And even to those who don't know him and aren't living to serve him, God still gives them beauty and joy in life as part of his common grace. And the question is, That's what I started with. Are we going to be satisfied with the lesser? Or do we want the greater beauty of God's full panorama? Because once we move from this shadow of life without God, because once we move from this shadow of life without God into the full and abundant life knowing the true God, that's when we actually get to live. That's when we really live. That's what Jesus was trying to wake this woman at the well up to see. There is something more. There is something beyond what you know. And Jesus says, I am the source of that something. I am the source of that life. I want to invite the, the band to come as I close. But, you know, whether you're here this morning and you already know Jesus, you've been serving him all your life or whether you're here this morning and you just happen to walk through the doors and you're going, I'm not sure who this Jesus is that you're talking about. The question is exactly the same to both of you, to both groups. Have you discovered the true identity of this man, Jesus Christ, who is, who is far more than a man, but he is God incarnate? Jesus says, do you know the gift of God? Do you know who speaks to you? Do you know who I am and what I could bring to your life if you are willing to come to me and simply ask? God wants to give us eternal life. He wants to give us abundant life. It's what he wants to give us more than anything else if we would just simply recognize our need and simply ask. and So Maple Ridge Alliance Church, we're all on a journey. And my my challenge to you this morning is to look at your life with new eyes. What do you see? Do you want the water that Jesus is offering? Or are you satisfied with the mud pies in the backyard? Are you willing to ask for it from him and simply receive it? Just like... He did with the woman at the well. Jesus pursues us. He speaks to us in so many ways, challenging us to go deeper and deeper and to follow him. And so don't be satisfied with the things that will truly never satisfy. Drink from the water that Jesus is offering. Go deep with him. Abide in him. He is always faithful. And so God, meet us where we're at. Challenge us by your word. I pray that at the core of our being, as your spirit guides us, we will desire the things that you have for us. And we would move out of the the sense of simply being okay with where we're at. God, we want more. And so we ask for it. Holy Spirit, come. Guide it, direct. Empower in matchless name of Jesus. Amen.